Hello and welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger, a big warg to all of you Spaceburgers out there. Let's check in with a citizen of planet Earth. Hello. Nate Chappell. Yes, this is Nate. Hi, David. Indeed it is. How are you? I am doing well. How are you, David? <laughs> Good. How are things at Wolfout TV? Oh, things are right along. They're, oh, sorry. You cut yeah. out a little bit. Sorry. They're, uh, they're humming right along, did you say? I said clipping right along, but oh. they're also humming. They're humming, they're clipping. <laughs> what a strange spot for the call to, to, like, you know, drop out a little bit. So many words could have uh, gone in there. Clipping right along, buzzing, humming, some sort of a... Uh, um, pantsing. <laughs> yeah. Yep, they are pantsing right along. <laughs> uh, so, How are things with you? How's life? Oh, fine, man. Good. Um, getting ready. As we record this, the junk show is tomorrow. And so... Um, oh, man. Always kind are you of, ready? Yeah, I'm usually ready. I usually have a few things where I'm like, ah, crap, I forgot to do that. But we've done it enough times now. I think that uh, yeah. it usually works out. People are always late getting me files and things like that. So that always creates sure. some last minute havoc but otherwise it's fine uh you do your show once a week yeah once a week thursday nights now man the last show on earth is what it's called oh these days and but it's still wolf out tv wolf out tv is the network yeah and it used to be called wolf out tonight ah. we got tired of having to spell the name of our show all the time thought that was probably bad branding ah so the last show on <laughs> earth that's smart yeah, yeah. Thanks. We're really smart. That's <laughs> one of our, not so funny necessarily or talented. Really smart. I believe it. Uh, yeah. So it's the last show on earth now, and it's it's doing it's doing good. My wife is having a baby. Oh, congratulations! So my baby. We're both having a baby. We're doing it together. She's doing most of the work right now, but yeah, she's she's um, growing it and all that stuff. But you had a hand. You threw in some ingredients yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, and I'm i yeah I'm gathering things. You know items i'm in acquisition mode right now so you're out in the forest scavenging for goods essentially uh-huh. yes i am what does that entail yes. with you um, uh yeah. well first of all congratulations again i think i already said that but what is that um hey, hey. You, you can never take too much of that right congratulations having having a child your first child my wife and i have been together for almost 13 years married for almost six uh-huh. and now we're finally doing it yeah, we took our time. We're slow decision makers, so... Yeah, I like it. Still there in Madison. That's a, a good college yeah. town, nice environment to raise a child. Yeah, it should be. When the, yeah, uh, when, it is. When you mention uh, acquiring goods, does that mean getting things like cribs and, and car seats and things like that? Yeah. So I was, in, I was put in charge of populating the registry. Ah, okay. But here's what it is, David. Here's what's weird about it, is that... It seems like everybody must just go through and click the things you're supposed to click, but that's just not how I work. You know, like when you go to an event and there's kids there and people and your friends that have kids are there and stuff, you pay no attention at all. You just sit there. Well, and suddenly now I'm like so like focused on everybody's gear, like what they're carrying around, you know, and they're telling stories and suddenly I care about the, their stories about the kids because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm personally attached to it. So now I'm like, okay, oh my God, I have not been studying at all. This has been like 20 years. I'm going to have a kid in like five months. I think everyone goes through that phase when they get into like, oh man, I need to whether it's buying a car or where'd you get that dog? Or I, I, I felt mm-hmm. really weird about it when I was 
I think probably as a kid, you know, I would just get clothes or especially pants. Uh, uh-huh. And then as I was like in college and stuff and I was kind of in charge of buying them, I found myself like looking around and being like, yeah, that, those pants fit good. You know, like checking out the <laughs> other dude's pants. And I'm like, I do not want to be doing this. Uh-huh. I wish I would have figured that I had, had that conversation with myself earlier. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I wore what? some bad pants. I had some pant problems. I wore elastic bottom pants for way too long. Those are back now. I remember in college just walking around and a friend of mine pulled me aside and was like, hey man, those pants are terrible. And I was like, <laughs> I go, they're pants. Like, they're, they're, what are you talking about? They're terrible. These are great. He was like, no, nah, man, no one's, no one's into those. Like, okay. That's a good friend, though. Yeah, it was nice of him. And it didn't really make me self-conscious about it, but I had, you know, your whole, I think that's art and everything. Every sort of acquired taste requires you first being aware that there are varieties and then two, uh-huh. and that yours sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you realizing why yours sucks. Like if you're really uh-huh. into just you have one cassette tape and you listen to it nonstop, and then people come over and they're like, "Hey man, there's other music besides Chumbawamba." And you're like, uh-huh. I, "I think <laughs> yeah. they're the best." And then you might listen to other music and go, "Oh, I get. I still love Chumbawamba, but I can see the merits uh-huh. of other things." So you're in that stage right now. I, did you try to make anything on your own? Make anything? No, I'm not that type. Oh, I see. I think um, that'd be fun. I, I, I'm not very handy. Ah, but you know, even if you like assemble the crib, won't that feel kind of cool? Even if you just follow the instructions and piece it together, that'd be kind of mm. fun. I'm I'm looking forward to making good plans. Oh, I see. Okay, that's how my brain works. But also acquisition. I'm a come from a family of garage sailors, so I'm getting some sweet deals here. <laughs> well, you gotta. I mean, that's... And that's, that's my victory. That's like my making things right there. It's like my little making... I got, I'm, we're getting a free crib. A crib that's like a transformer. Whoa, that's pretty cool. For free. Well, how for free? Just you, you gave them like you a sad, sad story of the garage sale, or these are people that you know? No, these are just one post, one vague post about it. And a bunch of people were like, I know that you like free stuff. I already have kids. <laughs> yeah. That, and I was like, yeah. Aren't we at a place where every item ever created for children could still be in operation and there's no need for any new stuff? Like, well, what, are you going to chase people down to give it away? Yeah, exactly. And you can't, And then they maybe so go like, like, there's probably bugs on that stroller. And the people are like, what are you talking about? We use it with, yeah, there's baby stuff, but take a used stroller. I'm, I, feel I feel like. that is one problem. Yeah, that's a. You worry about the the germs? That's a problem? The problem is, I was going to say, is car seat. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to reuse. You're not supposed to use reuse car seats? No, it's kind of like bike helmets, I think, is in theory. Huh. I mean, I get it if they... Conspiracy to get us to buy more car seats. Yeah, that's dumb. If they've been in an accident, I could see it, but... Uh, yeah, it's because like, you can't assure that it hasn't been in an accident. I guess that's maybe the... Oh. I don't know. That's a rough crowd. You know, this is just one of those rules that I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to test it on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to push my luck on that one. Like, this isn't my health. The type of people that be willing to resale uh, a baby seat that was involved in an accident involving their child, and they're like, I just need that 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. This thing's cherry. Yeah, well, maybe they, that's why they're getting rid of it. <sighs> Even still, I mean, that's a. It didn't work. I, yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get rid of it. That's, <laughs> Sorry, that was dark. That's I gotta adjust my humor. I feel like 
That's too, it is no, too no. dark. It's too dark. But I do think, I mean, that's essentially what you're worried about if you don't want to buy a used car seat mm-hmm. is that there's someone yeah. out there that's psychotic. I would guess yeah. that if you were face to face with them, you could see in their shifty eyes like this is definitely not someone I want to buy a used baby car seat from. But I, I, I'm assuming <laughs> yeah. 99.9% of other people that you're buying it from would be like, yeah, we feel weird selling it, but I mean, what else are we going to do with it? The landfills are filling up. Let's let's be resourceful mm-hmm. a little bit. And I, yeah. you, you got a deal. Let's do it. I'm, I'll bet no. someone's written an entire book on how to raise a child using repurposed goods. True. I've not seen this book. <laughs> well, you're out there sourcing stuff. If I find it, or if anyone listening has I it or knows of it, stuff. let's get it in Nate's hands. That'd be a good book for you to have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fast and nuts. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no. So that's acquisition mode. And then I'll probably start panicking in a few months. I'm a procrastinator by nature. So it's due, we're due in February. So I probably won't really panic for a while. You know what the January. the best thing about that though is by virtue of saying you're a procrastinator, you are saying I accomplish things. I just do it in a time frame I'm not comfortable with. But that's better than being exactly like, because of that bad rap. I used to try to not be a procrastinator, and I'd waste so much time sitting and not doing the thing I was supposed to be doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's been coming up a lot on the the show lately. People that are like, I know I need to be doing this thing, but oh, I can clean my oven and I'll feel. Like I'm accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very common human thing. But yeah, I always hit deadlines. I'm great at hitting deadlines, so I'm not going to worry about it. You know? Yeah. Are you going to be able to keep um, the last show on Earth on a consistent schedule, or is this going to be quite a big challenge now? I think we're going to take a month off and reevaluate. Hmm. I can do it with a kid strapped on me too. And it's not like it's like a show that a crying baby is going to be a problem. <laughs> they ruined you know, everything. The they, a 21-year-old cat. Well, good luck with um, the upcoming child being brought into the world. Let me know if I can do anything. I'm excited that you're you're making another chapel. Hey, yeah. And uh, continued success yeah, with the last too. show on Earth, man. Thanks for, hey, thanks thanks for David. spending a little time. Yeah, nice chatting with you. Nice hearing from you again. Indeed. Hey, keep it real, David. All right, we'll do. <laughs> See you, Nate. Okay. Always nice chatting with Nate, or and or really uh, those of you who I have spoken with in the past. Nice catching up. I think that was the original goal early on, is to follow up from time to time and see how those things that you mentioned have worked out. So if um, if you haven't called in in a while and you've you have some new developments, get get, get at me at uh, either pings at thespacecave dot com or space underscore cave and. I'd love to hear from you and see what's new in your world. And before we get started, just a reminder to get out there and vote. And if you know someone who's not inclined to do it, and yet they seem reasonable and they have their, ah, it doesn't make a difference, or I'm young, whatever that might be. It seems like young people is who everyone is counting on. And maybe that's always been the case. And that's just how it works that when you get older, you realize like, whew, the rules that are put in place could certainly use some altering. Um, maybe that'll always be the case. I mean, it is kind of weird when you meet someone that's really young, that's real into government and politics. But perhaps if you know someone that's on that cusp, this is the year to get them to vote and not just blindly following your um, sensibilities, but maybe present them with some material and see how they feel about it. Let them go vote. That might backfire and they vote horrifically. You never know. Anyway, that my that's my two cents. I feel like getting out there and voting 
seems like a good idea, especially this time. This next guest is uh, is really, um, you know, in in this. I, I hate to put anybody into categories or echelons, but certainly from time to time, there are people whose resume is just so overwhelming to me, and I can't believe I get a chance to speak with them. Let alone, uh, I got to be back in the Planetary Society in sort of the inner sanctum again in this cool old bank vault, thanks to a friend of the show and my personal friend, Danielle Gunn, who is just the best. And she arranged for me to sit down and chat with one of the co-founders, along with Bruce Murray and Carl Sagan, of the Planetary Society, Dr. Lewis Friedman, and he's just the best. And I showed up there with my recording gear and a double IPA called Animatter from Stone Brewing. And we sat down and chatted, and this is what it sounded like. Hope you enjoy it. Here's my chat with Dr. Friedman. Okay, I wish I had captured that. You saying, all right, let's go for it. Uh, This is my second time being here, and I I feel um, like I'm in the belly of the beast. I think I mentioned that last time, but in this old bank vault in the actual Planetary Society, your, your child, so to speak... (laughs) <laughs> well, in a way, yes, and in a way, no, because I actually uh, never worked in this building. I, oh, uh, yeah, and, this is relatively so, new. Uh, this is relatively new. Mm-hmm. The Planetary Society moved here after I retired, though I got my name on the front front of the building. <laughs> it, uh, uh, that was that was just to show they remembered me. <laughs> but yeah, the Planetary Society was born by. Uh, uh, 1979, 1980, by Carl Sagan and Bruce Murray and myself, and uh, and we did very and uh, all the years that we developed it felt very parental mm-hmm. to it, and we're proud of it, proud of our growth, proud of the positions that it occupied, and and proud of what we did. And, uh, For, so and the part reference of my like, uh, uh, part of my good feeling right now is that it continues to do good things and. And uh, so it's like a child that's grown up, and yeah, and uh, it's not doing everything that I would do, but that's what children do. They do their <laughs> own thing now, and but it's doing well, and I'm, I like that. Yeah, going back to that, uh, that that analogy of it being childlike, when when the three of you were just brainstorming it, what was the impetus? Like, what was the thinking then? Of so you say it didn't turn into exactly what you wanted it to be. Did you have a clear vision of like we want it to be? What what is it maybe lacking in, or where didn't it go? We had a clear vision of what we wanted, mm-hmm. I think, and and I should say when I say we had a clear vision, I have to say it was really Carl Sagan and Bruce Murray who had a clear vision. Mine was a little muddier. I I can even remember writing in a journal and in a memo. Well, they say they know what they're doing, but I'm not sure, <laughs> uh, and I, I I didn't get it all the all the way, but the. The, the clarity was that space exploration was enormously popular. It was a great thing this country was doing, mm-hmm. great thing that was going on in the world. We had explored, we had sent spacecraft to land on Mars in the 1970s, just 15 years after the dawn of the space age. We had gone sent uh, spacecraft going out to Jupiter and Saturn and out into the outer solar system, spacecraft to Venus, not just us, but the Russians and Europeans were involved. And... It was uh, a great enterprise that was very popular. The front cover of Time magazine, the front cover of many journals was all about the great discoveries that were being made out on other worlds. Mm -hmm. And our whole view was changing. The planets 
when we were growing up were just little dots in the sky. Mm-hmm. Now they were whole worlds yeah. with interesting dynamics of their own as, and speculation about what might be there. And yet the political process was going exactly in the opposite direction. It was saying, well, that's it. We don't want to do any more planetary exploration. We have to build another rocket. And they were canceling the planetary program. Mm-hmm. And they, they had this idea that, that uh, they could take a hiatus from exploration. And we just felt that was bad and backwards and wrong and anti-popular. The, the public, if they only knew about it, would be a force to overcome that. So we wanted to form a popular interest group, a public organization that could uh, bring the harness the public interest in, in space. And, uh, and that's what we did. And so the clear vision was to become an advocacy group for space exploration. And... At the time, obviously, no form of social media. You kind of have the paper. So when you talk about the the public interest, how do how do you so drum a, that up? So there's another kind. So I can I can give you an, an analogies, but I'm afraid your listeners, <laughs> who I assume are mostly younger than me, won't. They'll think I'm speaking some foreign language, Polish or something, because <laughs> the words I will use they may not get. But when you uh, when you wanted to build a constituency, you formed a, a public interest group, and environmental groups were doing that quite actively in the 70s. So were political reform groups, mm-hmm. and we were uh, the first to be doing it in, in the space field and in a space interest group. And, uh, and you did that by asking people to join, pay dues, uh, and you did that through direct mail. And we still have direct mail. You get a mm-hmm. lot of solicitations in the mail. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you ask people to join the organization and become part of a movement. Mm-hmm. And we did that. We bootstrapped ourselves up with uh, direct mailings to colleagues and then to uh, other uh, interest groups, magazine subscribers for Scientific American or Discover or other uh, space magazines. And slowly we built up uh, a large membership base. Uh, we became the fastest growing public membership organization in the country, period, of any kind, uh, during the 1980s. So your instincts were right that the public wants this. Right. And they were jumping on and saying, yeah, we're showing our support. We want to go explore. Right. So we, we formed. And then another strange thing happened. We were successful at getting a public interest group and showing that space exploration wasn't only good, it was popular, Mm -hmm. and we could start making that political message to Washington. Uh, Then uh, our consultant said to us, okay, what are your projects? And we said, well, what what do you mean? Well, what are you asking money for? And we kind of thought, hey, we haven't given that any thought. Uh, we have to, you know, we have to ask people for money because they want to be involved. And in general, the people are involved by giving money to be part of an organization. Mm-hmm. And so we had to have good things for that get uh, their interest. And that's how we got into SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, into Asteroid Discovery. Both of these were not well funded by NASA at all. In fact, not funded by NASA at all, and we got into it. We uh, uh, made some contacts with a student group working on the Mars on an idea for a Mars balloon here at Caltech, and uh, that uh, developed into an actual space mission project that we were working with uh, Russians and French space agencies. Uh, and so we began a whole number of projects 
that all seed further exploration that were uh, either technology or science projects to to make uh, uh, space planetary exploration happen. And, uh, and that's how we got into doing so many active, interesting projects that involved uh, uh, so many elements of the space community. How do, how do you like this uh, double IPA? <laughs> Very good. And I, I enjoy it. Uh, matter. I, uh, I'm breaking a rule, uh, but all rules are made to be broken sometime. I'm breaking a rule to have a drink while I'm uh, doing a serious interview. Of course, <laughs> you can describe this as serious. But I'm also, uh, uh, but it's not the first time I've broken that rule. I was invited, I'm very careful. I've been invited to be quite often to be a dinner speaker or speaker at some program. And I, mm-hmm. I try to avoid having wine before I speak because I, I don't want to slur my words in front of <laughs> front of a crowd. Does it feel uh, good to break that rule, to let loose a little bit? Well, I'm pretty loose anyway, so I thought it's really not necessary. But one time I was invited by the Planetary Society's local membership in London, in England, uh, to give a uh, lecture at a pub in London. at the base of the hill where Greenwich Observatory is, and it's a pub that was uh, uh, the Admiral Nelson Pub, made famous by Admiral Nelson actually having uh, been a a guest there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, oh, that's irresistible. So while I gave that talk, I also had uh, (laughs) a a pint of their their, uh, beer. So... Did you make your way into the tabloids? Was there anything scandalous? That no, there was not. That wasn't enough to make a scandal, oh, I don't think. Well, I hope this is the same way. Right. Uh, this is the Stone. It's a limited edition antimatter. I don't know why it's antimatter as opposed <laughs> to antimatter, because I thought that was kind of spacey. And yeah, sort of fit, right. so. yeah. Um I think I always ask this to everybody that has um, a desire to explore, which is... Looking at our planet, and you mentioned politics just a little bit, and maybe here we we don't do a great job of prioritizing education, and who knows if that factors into the way we treat the planet, but we don't seem to be great to it. And do you worry about other places that we would potentially go and put our f- fingerprints and footprints on that we would, and they're just sitting there being rocks, so who cares if we, but is there a feeling that like, ah, they're so pristine as they are, we will... undoubtedly do something to tarnish that. Well, as scientists, you want to have controlled experiments. That's that's the word, controlled Mm -hmm. experiments. So uh, if you go mess something up and then try to do an experiment on it, (laughs) you're not going to get very good information. Uh, So scientists are very concerned about, for example, uh, keeping sterile or keeping uh, uh, pristine an environment before they begin to examine it, Mm -hmm. see the possibilities for life or what microorganisms might be growing there or how they grow there. And I understand that. At the same time, uh, we are not... Uh, we are, by very definition, contaminants. We're contaminants on our own planet. We're going to be contaminants wherever we go. And uh, so, basically, we have to uh, recognize that. And if we are going to go other places, and, and that includes with our machines, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we're going to be interacting uh, with it. So the, so, the real question isn't yes or no. I mean, the real answer isn't yes or no. We can't do it. We can. I think the answer is we do it responsibly and as smartly as we can and uh, so i i don't really worry about that i think it's a a proper concern Mm -hmm. um you know exploration if i can just wax on a little bit here um 
Exploration has really two components. It's, um, it's discovery, but, you know, so is things that a scientist does in a laboratory or even things that we do at our home. That's discovery. It has another component, which is adventure. Mm-hmm. If you have adventure without discovery, that's kind of tourism. That's going out and being a tourist someplace, and it can it can be a great adventure. And it can you know it can be yeah. anything from going to discover what it's like in Paris to climbing uh, uh, Mount Everest in the Himalayas. But you're still basically doing an adventure uh, as part of as a as a tourist. If you know. the other aspect is to be a scientist and to to really learn what you can from what whatever you're attempting, and that's the discovery part so i kind of view exploration as an adventure plus discovery so when we go out and explore other worlds uh, i think that's part of what we we are doing out there we go to mars we want to make discoveries about the origin and evolution of life or or the or the conditions for life or, uh, but at the same time we recognize it's an adventure we're putting human artifacts on another world mm-hmm. uh, the nearest world it's, and on the one hand it's it's if we can't make it on mars we'll never make it anywhere else because it's nearby and it's got the basic constituents of life mm-hmm. on the other hand it's terribly hostile it's cold it's dry it's poisonous it's it's a thin <laughs> atmosphere it's got everything wrong with it it's, so i don't know which is the right answer mm-hmm. is it our nearest friendly neighbor or is it a hostile other world both are correct and that's the adventure of us going there and doing things and it's the importance of making discoveries there so it's a combination that gets me and yeah i like that I wonder if that, does that now, looking back, you know, you mentioned that your vision, perhaps in the beginning with you and Bruce and Carl, maybe wasn't quite as concise. Are you able to now, seeing that we're getting closer to Mars, maybe have a... More- well, I think it was, at least in Carl's mind, certainly in their mind, it was very concise. They they got that. I remember a meeting that we had, just the three of us, and and we would have these sort of board meetings, if you could call them that, but they were... They were part organizational, like mm-hmm. we have to get this mailing out. Let's, what should we say? And part uh, educational or inspirational, because why are we doing this? What's this mission about? What's it going to learn? And I remember Carl and Bruce saying in a conversation, "You know why we're doing this exploration? It's really to discover ourselves out there. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. We're going out to, to other worlds to discover." who we are and what we are. And I thought it was very profound because it struck at the heart, not just of the scientific questions, but at the public interest. Why is the public so interested in this as opposed to other uh, kind of scientific? It's because it relates to the very fundamental questions that humanity has been asking itself for all of its history. Who are we? What's our relationship to the universe? And uh, so I think that discovery of ourselves out there, and I think they had that vision much clearer than I did. I'm, I'm a follower. I, I kind of, <laughs> no, uh, and I was the guy I had, I had to, I had to implement, and I, uh, I'm proud of what I did with it. But they were the, they were the guide. They, they set the guidance and mm-hmm. uh, uh, for that. But I guess going toward the uh, well, first of all, that it's not only poetic, but you know, to, I was just thinking of the intersection of science with philosophy. The questions we all have that you know, for to be on the leading edge to say, we kind of have the tools to go out there and, and explore and potentially discover 
some of these questions that, that have plagued ever since humans stood on two feet and looked at the sky probably. So that I would imagine for the three of you had to have been a great feeling that like we're at the forefront of this and then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it very much is. And, and, um, and I emphasize though it, it to all of us, to, to each of us, I should say, uh, it was not just the, uh, the science. I mean, the science is wonderful, and it's, it's what it's about. Mm-hmm. But it is that I come back to that idea that we are going out there. We're doing something out there. We're we're to be corny. We're venturing where no people have ever ventured before. And yeah. that idea of um, uh, attempting great feats of engineering in the pursuit of science was very much part of everything we cared about. We. We we discovered planetary rovers, frankly, before NASA did. Mm-hmm. NASA didn't have a rover program. We saw what the Russians were developing for their lunacod on the moon and what they wanted to do on Mars, and we said this ought to be part of the American program, and we started making rover advocacy and building a rover team and doing tests of rovers in Death Valley and, and in uh, on the beach in Santa Monica and and places uh, both here and abroad mm-hmm. to get the American scientific community to say, yeah, we want rovers. And, <laughs> and I think we were, that's a, that's among our greatest success. Going with it being a public group and kind of, you know, rather than, Hey, we, we are doing everything and you guys just help fund us. I like the idea that I've heard stories of uh, comic book artists being commissioned to help with ideas for rovers or James Cameron. Mm-hmm. How can we land something and then have, uh, a rover spill out of it or drop out of it mm. or it, d- does it take the whole team does it take the creative people it takes some silly ideas and it all bunches together i think it does uh in 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 many ways i'm not sure i could pin down a particular comic book artist who designed <laughs> a planetary lander or something mm-hmm. like that but i can tell you that every person that i ever met in the engineering field who worked on planetary landers was influenced by the visions of artists and uh, filmmakers and authors mm-hmm. who wrote and pictured uh, such things and, 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 and gave us the art about them. And so uh, very much so that these, these are, uh, again, a uh, uh, interactive, a synergistic uh, kind of activity. Uh, to me, that... You know, the, you mentioned the, the word contaminant for us. You think of like, it makes it feel like we release our spores. So you get mold in a, a bag of bread and it not only goes to every loaf if it can, but it gets on the, the, the plastic of the bag itself. It just wants to spread. And when we think of ourselves that way, it feels kind of negative. But then I wonder, people like Philip K. Dick or, or Ray Bradbury, I know, who is a, mm-hmm. a, a, a friend of this place they maybe have these ideas that they put out there. And like you just mentioned, the scientists are influenced by that. And then we put in motion that, could we do that? Could we go there? Maybe that's the impetus for it. Does does that seem too crazy? No, it's definitely, it's very relevant, but I do emphasize, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. We don't even know if life is ubiquitous everywhere Mm -hmm. in the universe or unique. We're it. Yeah, we don't even know that <laughs> fundamental issue, which yeah. is like zero—the difference between zero and infinity. Yet, 
we uh, so we're on the cusp maybe of finding out. You know, we're all excited. Oh, this is evidence that it might. This is evidence that it doesn't. This, we we see these things, but we don't know yet. And so, yes, maybe human life is the beginning of a great spread throughout the galaxy, and that's what we're going to do. But maybe not. Maybe we're alone. Mm-hmm. And maybe the impetus against um, going out there will be greater in some ways we don't predict. I wrote a book last year or two years ago now called Human Spaceflight from Mars to the Stars. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thesis of the book is human spaceflight, at least beyond Mars, we'll probably get to Mars. That's pretty close. Mm-hmm. But beyond Mars, we'll never do it. We won't do it with humans. We'll do it with our virtual machines and with robotics and with artificial intelligence and with 3D holograms bringing back data from other worlds in ways and maybe even with genetic interactions with other worlds that don't involve humans traveling to them because technology in those fields are advancing a lot faster than human spaceflight. So... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I put this out there as a thesis, not because I'm trying to predict the future, but because I'm trying to cause discussion about it. Yeah. And so, again, I don't think it's it's obvious to say or, or, to, or certain to say, oh, we're going to colonize the solar system and someday the galaxy. As some people believe, I think it's we haven't made the big step yet of even. We haven't made the big step yet of getting out of Earth orbit, except for a brief period of 1969 to 1972. <laughs> we haven't done anything like that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a, uh, a naysayer, but I want to be a skeptic and say, uh, think it through. We, know, <laughs> we don't have the answer yet. I like that. I, I couldn't help but think that the space person, the the, the little astronaut sitting in that Tesla that's now orbiting around there in space, if that were endowed with some software that you could click on at any point and have it wake up and look around and yeah. maybe try to land, that would be kind of fun. And But I think going back to the contaminant thing or going back to the theory that humans aren't going to get there, machines, at least through sci-fi, always tend to be more like rational. They look at the data and they make concise and difficult decisions based on it would we need to program into them the idea of the contaminant that hey spread those spores hey go out there or would they look and go this is too much too many resources to waste and it's too much damage and or would that be that'd be kind of difficult i don't have the answer to that uh ai to me is really really hard which is why it's progressed basically so slowly uh you know you program your AI to uh, not contaminate another world, you probably won't, it'll probably just refuse to go there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or if you, uh, uh, you know, there, there's lots of examples of, of how how you have to do that kind of decision making carefully. I mean, we, we see that in self-driving cars on, a, on one scale or even on our, yeah. on our cell phones where we, we let our AI remind us of a certain thing and can't adapt to other conditions that, that, that we might send it. But uh, uh, so I don't have the answer to, to what, uh, uh, you know, how we're going to, how the intelligence systems of the future are going to deal with those kinds of very difficult problems. I think we'll program them. Uh, we'll try to get it, and I think it's, it's inevitable. We'll make mistakes, and and hopefully we don't make. You know, there are some 
some people, including Elon Musk, we were just talking about, mm-hmm. uh, who think that that's kind of going to be catastrophic. That if that we do that, we're going to end up uh, maybe endangering all of civilization and, and, and have a catastrophe. And there are others, like Mark Zuckerberg, who take exactly the opposite view. No, we're smart enough to get it. We'll, <laughs> we'll make little mistakes, but we'll keep on improving it and get it right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know the answer. I mean, just a pick on Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook again. We've seen they've gotten some things wrong already. They couldn't get the algorithms to tell us what's fake and what's real right. or when somebody hacked and somebody didn't or when they had ill intent or maybe they hacked and it was benign because it was just funny or maybe they hacked because they're trying to take over our government mm-hmm. and and steal from us. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> and so... That just shows you how how hard the problem is for even really smart guys with really big budgets. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you had the argument of how major or minor those mistakes you just mentioned are. That that could go up. I feel like those are pretty big errors. And that extrapolated into... AI could be... Yeah, Dan Brown in his book on Origins, I don't know if you know, it's a popular uh, book. He's the guy who wrote Da Vinci Code. Mm -hmm. I haven't read Uh, Origins. Well, he's got a... I don't. I guess I shouldn't give away the plot, but he's got a very clever little AI plot in there in which AI goes as an unintended consequence it doesn't work out so good either for its inventor or almost for the whole world and uh, uh, I thought he did it very cleverly and did it on a very popular level I mean he's not a science fiction writer he's not a scientist he didn't you know it doesn't it's in some sense it's pretty simplistic Mm -hmm. on the other hand he got the issue just right I like that. I like when someone, um, I'm assuming he's you know, essentially an outsider to this world, uh, writes something or creates something that and maybe it has some scientific, maybe if there were coders that would look at it, oh, this couldn't be done. But otherwise, people largely would say, I like the thought behind it. I like the theory or the philosophy. I think the more of those we usher forth, maybe the better chance we have of, of predicting things, even without doing them, just having an idea of like, oh, yeah, I guess that, that could happen. Well, this is the joy coming back to our original topic of planetary exploration and why we formed a planetary society. Um, uh, it, it's it's a great joy to because what we are working on, you know, just learning one more fact about Venus's atmosphere might not be that big a deal, mm-hmm. but the process of learning, excuse me, process of learning it and the process of um, of trying to send a spacecraft there and work in the extreme environment and all that teaches us so much more yeah. about it. And we and, and it opens up our mind and our thought space much wider than the particular result. I, the JPL people, the 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 dog with a bone kind of thinking of like, oh, I, I can figure this out. I can do this. I I just think that is so the best thing about humanity yeah. that we get those. And sometimes we make the problems, we create them, but the the challenge in solving them. And I guess one thing I wanted to ask that I thought of earlier with uh, with that being a, a problem or a challenge that we don't know. Like I remember being a kid. You just mentioned you know we 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 have either zero or infinity. We don't know. As a kid, you're kind of walking around with this thinking like, someone knows what happens after you die. Someone out there knows. They're just not telling us. Someone knows if there's other life. Um, And most skeptics would hear any number of abduction theories or UFO theories and go, oh, come on. Be so skeptical. And yet, 
we have things like SETI and we have institutions put in uh, that, that pursue going after these things. So I'm curious like where for you the excitement comes from, you know, where, how much you, you think, yes, there are, there is other life out there and I want to see it. Or is it purely from a, I have no evidence to suggest there is, but I still want to go check. Well, I'm going to give your listeners and your podcast a scoop. Okay. Of, uh, on, uh, something I don't talk about publicly too, too much. All right. But now we're getting something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not convinced there's life out there. Mm-hmm. Yet I think SETI is a worthwhile activity to be working on. Now, why? If I don't think there's life out there, why would I waste my money and time and effort to search for extraterrestrial life? That's what SETI is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer is because the process of doing so, and this is what I was talking about earlier, it just makes us inquire and, and invent so many good things to uh, uh, and learn along the way that good things come from that, even if the answer that I was hoping for, that there's life out there or there isn't, isn't clear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so even though I'm skeptical about the nature that there, that their life is ubiquitous in the universe or even that there's much life in the universe or, or that there's other intelligent life in the universe, I still think SETI is a very worthwhile activity um, at the level, of course, that, that, you know, are reasonable to fund it and to do the great radio telescopes and optical searches that we do, because mm-hmm. uh, we're learning a lot, and we, and we ask the right questions, and by putting the human mind to work on these things, we're, we're making a lot, uh, we're opening it up a lot, and I think <laughs> that's good. I, I agree, and I, I will say it's it's slightly disappointing to hear that you say like you have like minimal hope or or, or thought because it. it feels a little bit like parents you know tell their children they're yeah. Santa Claus so be good and it is good because it gets yeah. the kids to behave well right. and they're nice to each other but then in the end you go would be a lot better if there was this thing out there that they're working toward. Well, when your parent when you finally found out there was no Santa Claus, that was that a downer or was that just moving on? To other areas of inquiry. For me, it so, was kind of the birth of a certain level of skepticism. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what I can trust yeah. now. All right. Well, uh, and the same question I would have about extraterrestrial life. Is it really a negative result to be alone in the universe? Uh, or does that just mean we're so special that we have an extra role of taking care of it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I could argue that either way. Mm-hmm. And. The fact is that it may not even matter if we're alone in the universe or not. If we can't get in contact with anybody, we might as well be alone. <laughs> and, and that's what we found so far. And mm-hmm. I don't know how, it, how, how that will go. Uh, same with interstellar travel. If we can't reach another star system, uh, is that a downer? Or is that just mean we have to be cleverer at the way we learn about habitability and the evolution of life in our universe? And I think the answer is a little of both. I like that. Well, we've we're exactly at thirty minutes right okay. now. So if you want to well, wrap it up, we're well. We're, I think yeah. I think we've. I hope we've stimulated a lot of th- discussion and thought about this, and I hope uh, people are interested enough. May, do you do you have a mechanism for interacting with your listeners? Yeah, it's um. I mean, as you probably have found over your time in science, a lot of introverts, not, not a lot of need for you know a few tweets here and there, emails, kind of interactions that way. But for the most part, not a lot of big mm-hmm. uh, forums or group threads or right. anything like that. 
Um, I haven't done any live shows yet, and I don't, I don't know that I will, but I do kind of like the idea of, of that, of stimulating that sort of conversation. Well, you stimulate discussions whether you see them or not, I'm mm-hmm. sure, and that's that's important because, again, uh, Carl Sagan said, if you're not interested in this, you must be made of wood, <laughs> and uh, and people are interested. I it, It's always been kind of a source of amusement for me. I can go to a party or out with some friends. I sit down at the table with some friends and you know i'm a baseball fan so we started to talk baseball or i'm you know was out on a trip to san diego and i say something about where i visited in san diego or something but then within five minutes somebody will say you know i read in the newspaper the other day that the black hole is receding into the universe and not sure of the site and they start asking me questions about <laughs> cosmology and, and and my views on the on the latest space missions to uh you know some moon of, of saturn or jupiter or something like that they're interested in these things and they're hungering for you know quote yeah. an expert yeah no that's why uh, i'm to, here <laughs> to kind of give them some extra information than they read in the newspaper and that's what the planetary society responded to people are interested in that you know and yeah and they uh, and so what you're doing on this podcast is responding to that interest and and you get people and will they may not tweet or write email you but they'll probably go out and talk to somebody tonight about what they heard and that guy on the on so-and-so's podcast said this mm-hmm. and i don't know where he came up with that idea but he's a <laughs> nut but maybe it's worth thinking about and that's yeah. that's what we do oh i feel bad for you. you brought that up that you're it's almost impossible for you to go to a social gathering and not be i mean people interact and it's pleasant talking about baseball the things you mentioned television shows the news but yet, there's also this little feeling in the back that's this little voice kind of knocking going are we going to get to something in, that really like, <laughs> yeah. that motivates us right. and yeah. so yeah if i if you were at a party I, I really would and i'm not the most extroverted person but i would find a way to come over and try to bring up a black hole conversation. Right. So okay. apologies. You have to deal with that all the time. Okay. And thanks no, for spending no a little apology. time today. It's one of the joys that I know just a little. <laughs> okay. Well, thank thanks you very much. It was thank fun you. to be with you. Yeah. yeah okay. Thanks again. I'm glad you like this beer too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very good. I'll, uh, <laughs> I will remember it. What a delightful man. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I thought it was just thoroughly enjoyable and uh hopefully i get to do that again he was a good sport and can check out uh thespacecave.com for some photos of him and i didn't do a great job of capturing the environment and what it looked like in there with us chatting but danielle set up the tables in a way that it felt similar to how it is in uh in the home studio for the space cave so it was very um familiar and uh i just really enjoyed it so thanks again to danielle and thanks so much to the planetary society you can support them at planetary.org let's get out there and explore space and let's you can contribute be a member of it i know there are a lot of things you can uh, contribute a little bit of money to monthly these days but that's a pretty good one keeping it um keeping the pursuit and humans interest in seeing the universe alive and well so planetary.org and hopefully have more people from there on this show and, and um, expose more ears to what they're doing over there and, and just how cool our universe is and the people that are on the front lines of exploring it. 
So anyway, another thing, as you know, that you can contribute to once a month is the Patreon for this show. There are all kinds of different levels. You can just do like a buck or two a month if you want. You get access to bonus chats, extended things, um, behind the scenes stuff, some ramblings that I do from time to time. I don't know if that's of any interest. Or if you just want to support the show and help pay for things like music and beer and web hosting and tech gear and etc. And ideally down the road, helping our friend Dan down there in Australia who puts the show together out of the goodness of his heart be nice to um allocate some resources to him so the patreon is where you can do that you can find links to all that stuff at thespacecave.com okay i will be in phoenix this week um doing some comedy with my friend chad if you happen to be near the tempe improv get at me i'll get you some tickets these comedy club gigs uh, are different than um, some of the other shows where I can usually set aside some tickets. So if you want to come see a show, just email and say, hey, I listen to the Space Cave. And I'd like to see some stand-up. I can make that happen. Here's some music from No Vacation. If you're not here, I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. We walk through the city